0: Hi, welcome to Off Script. I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Today on the show, we're taking a look at the new Netflix film Malcolm and Marie from Euphoria director Sam Levinson starring John David Washington and Zendaya as two uh, quarreling lovers in a very small house for, like, Two hours. Uh, we're also going to take a look at Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, the 2006 film, because we watched Tenet earlier this year and it didn't really scratch the itch for us. So we thought, why not look back at something he's done previous? It's also a slow week at the movies. So we're going to talk about The Prestige. We both love that movie. It's going to be great. Uh, we need to talk about the Golden Globes. The nominees are out. They're pretty disappointing. But last year was a pretty disappointing year at the movie anyway. movies anyway, so it's fine. Before we get to all that, though, we need to talk about the news. Our first story... Mattel is developing a movie based on Uno, the card game, starring uh Lil Yachty as in the lead <laughs> role. Somebody who I thought was pronounced little Yachty until uh Andy explained that I was not woke. Uh Andy, what it's what the hell is the Uno movie gonna be about?
1: Um, it's some sort of hip hop heist thing, again, starring Lil Yachty. And I, Yachty. I don't know I don't know how uh Uno plays into the. I mean, that's not the way I would have thought the. I mean, that's the thing. You can make. I mean, you can literally make up anything about toy properties, but like, I would have expected some sort of like, I don't know, high stakes gambling or something like that. Like, some, yeah. some, since it's an actual card game, so I don't know like how this has turned into a heist film with uh, you know not, uh, a famous popular rapper, um, but that's the direction they're going in. Yes, it uh, looks like the movie may
0: be set in Atlanta, uh, because Lil Yachty, our, our star, Hot Atlanta. That's right. He explained that he was excited to be part of the film with Mattel. He played Uno as a kid and still does today. So spinning into a movie based on the Atlanta hip-hop scene that he came out of is really special hits Close to Home. This is interesting casting, not because it's something new and original, but because I feel like we've had this influence of films that cast people that are not traditionally actors in the lead to to try to draw, I don't know, uh, eyes, I guess, get people in seats. I'm thinking of like Space Jam 2. Obviously following the predecessor of Space Jam 1 starring Michael Jordan alongside the Looney Tunes in a basketball career. Uh, Space Jam 2 stars LeBron James as like the Michael Jordan stand in with the Looney Tunes doing basketball stuff. And like LeBron is not an actor, nor is Little Yachty. (laughs) So I don't know what it's about with like kids games and, uh, you know, starring starring people who don't act normally. But hey, anything could happen. Maybe it'll be cool, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, you know, the Lego Movie has shown that uh, anything can happen, you know, because on the surface, you know, you'd have told me before that those movies came out that this sounds terrible, but you never know, maybe it'll Um, be uh, something exciting and fun.
0: Mattel's certainly into it. Uh, Uno joins other Mattel films that are currently works, including those based on some brands you probably know: Barbie, American Girl, right? Uh, uh, maybe, maybe Thomas and Friends, Thomas the Tank Engine, but also some other things I haven't heard about movies for, including Hot Wheels, Major Matt Mason, Masters of the Universe, ViewMaster, Magic Eight Ball is getting a movie, <laughs> and Wishbone, the dog. I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> I don't know. See, Magic 8 Ball, that actually sounds intriguing. You could have some like mystical, like wish fulfillment, Faustian, you know, monkey's yeah. paw thing going on.
0: Faustian, yeah, <laughs> the Magic 8 Ball film. Maybe. These are all straight to streaming movies, 100%, as should the Uno movie be, but we'll see. Maybe it'll be cool when it comes out. Ma- um,
1: Mattel, Phil, feel free to contact me for more. You, t- <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, big time. It is, slip us a resume, Mattel. We'll take a look at it on the air. Uh, our next story we're keeping it light this week because we need to talk about the Golden Globes award stuff always takes forever for us to get through so we're going to move through it fast our next story Disney is shutting down Blue Sky Studios 450 employees to be impacted I posted this story earlier today so I don't know if Andy you had the chance to read it Uh, do you know the down low on this
1: I did. Yeah. Uh, so Blue Sky, which is a studio be- behind Ice Age and Rio and a couple of other big franchises, is uh, getting shut down by Disney. They were acquired in the uh, the 21st Century Fox acquisition, and it was a little up in the air what, what they were going to do. They didn't really know. Disney was kind of silent for a long time, but uh Disney's going to shut them down uh, in a large part because of the uh, pandemic.
0: Yeah, uh, it's definitely a bummer. This is really a bummer. Um, Blue Sky has made films like, I think you just said this, but just to clarify, uh, because I arguably wasn't listening. uh, Blue Sky has made films like Ice Age, Rio, Ferdinand, The Peanuts Movie, most recently Spies in Disguise, Um, I'm not going to say there were direct competition with Disney, right? Disney does a whole lot. They have a lot of projects going on. Um, but Blue Sky was certainly a contender. Blue Sky was up there with companies like DreamWorks. Um, you know, making, making the Peanuts movie doesn't just go to nobody, right? Like you have to be a sizable studio to make that happen. They got the rights to it and they made it happen. And it was a decent movie. Uh, the Ice Age films are revered, right? Like there's a lot going on at Blue Sky Studios. It's really disappointing to see almost 500 people are getting laid off. I'm not yeah. actually looking at the story anymore. Excuse me. That's what yeah. I get for not, not having my tabs <laughs> correct. They um it,
1: while they were mostly known for animation uh, before they kind of got into that, they also did just did a lot of special effects work. Um, I was reading that they actually uh, did the effects for Alien Resurrection, which I just actually watched the other day. Oh, hell, um, so yeah, you know they, they had done a lot of effects type work and were contracted to do that before uh, kind of getting in to animation and going full force in that uh there's a a bit of a location issue as well uh they're located in i think connecticut on the east coast um and disney has offered to you know try and find these employees jobs in other open roles except all those studios are in california and in and around la so yeah it's gonna be rough
0: Yeah. um, And it's worth mentioning, like, for for anybody who thinks Blue Sky maybe didn't do all that much, like, Blue Sky put out Ice Age in a time where there weren't a whole lot of, like, really cartoony CGI animated films. Like, they were doing something different. And they, I think, directly influenced the direction Disney and DreamWorks have gone since. Like, the kind of cartoony look Disney animated films have, 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 uh, you know, CGI characters with big wide eyes, like, tangled, frozen. Like, that stuff comes from work like Ice Age. Like, that stuff comes from work like Rio. So, even if they weren't, like, directly a threat like dreamworks is like it's a bummer and like welcome to welcome to animating in 2021 right like your your job's never really that safe they were in the middle of working on a new project that's been halted um it's a bummer man that's it's really a bummer i think there's a lot of good people that studio
1: yeah the, there was a i forget the name of it but there was a film that needed about 10 months uh more uh production slated to come out uh next january in 2022 and, uh, yeah, it just got cut completely and uh, probably won't be completed.
0: Absolute savagery. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's competition, right? Like, why
1: why try to beat your competition when you can
0: buy their parent company and then just shut them down? Uh, it's a bummer. But uh, those are the hot stories this week. Like I said, we'll be talking about the Golden Globe nominees in between our reviews. Without, uh, without further ado, let's jump right into it. Andy, please take it away with review number one.
1: Malcolm and Marie. You are by far the most excruciating, difficult, stubbornly obnoxious woman I've ever met in my entire life. I fucking love you. Oh, he's so sensitive. He's romantic. I bet he's sweet, right? Hey,
0: hey. Well, I mean, yeah. When he's not being an emotional
1: fucking terror. Oh. <laughs> So this is a new relationship drama that just came out on Netflix uh, last week, uh, directed by Sam Levinson, which stars John David Washington and Zendaya as uh, this couple that's just come home from a film uh, premiere. John David Washington is an up-and-coming director about just kind of on the cusp of fame. Zendaya is his significant other, and we learned that she you know, maybe could have had a career in acting, but it didn't really work out. Uh, so they come home very late. It's like you know, midnight, one am. She immediately starts making uh, mac and cheese. and uh, they and eventually they pick at each other and it turns into a fight. And we learn that uh, she was not thanked der- when he was given like his award speech uh, tonight. And that is the very tip of the iceberg, which unravels lots of issues uh, in their relationship. Um they kind of go throughout the entire night, they fight, they kind of make up. They fight. Find something else to find about, uh, and it's kind of how how the whole thing goes. Uh, it is just these two inside uh, their fabulous uh, Hollywood house. It is in black and white, glorious black and white, uh, as well. And it's so it's a story about relationship. It's a story as I think the tagline is: it's a story about love. It's not a love story. It's a story about love. So, Zach, what do you think? So I really liked um, the first half
0: of this film. Uh, like I said, it's 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 just over two hours long, I think. Um, and it is a long time to watch two people acting. I think there's a lot of meat to what they're doing. I think John David Washington and Zendaya really shine. Um, director Sam Levinson wrote this film in, I think, just over a week. The whole thing was shot in 14 days with a crew of about 22 people. Uh, it is all shot in one location. It features two actors and two actors only. It's shot in 35 millimeter black and white for the film critics out there. There's a lot going on in this movie that works, but at the same time, it's a pandemic film. It's a bit of a rush job. It's a bit of a pet project. They they shot this when they were in between episodes of Euphoria on HBO. If you watch that show, this is basically where that's coming from. It's kind of a spiritual, not successor, but, but companion from the people who make Euphoria. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's sincere and it's heartfelt. And I think the first half of this movie, the first half of the arguing in the bickering plays out like a, like an argument that every every good couple has had like w- when this movie starts and and she's visibly mad at him and he doesn't get why and they start to argue it feels like every couple has had this fight like you can you you feel like this is a fight you've had before you're like i get it i understand the frustration but about halfway through the film, as is, is you find out more about their characters and you start to get deeper into why they're fighting and who they are as people, you start to get disconnected from that. It's it's not so easy to connect yourselves with these characters. Suddenly, they're their own people, and it ultimately ends up a little confusing and maybe a little bit more shallow than it should have been. I think there's a lot that works in Malcolm & so I'm excited to talk about it. I'm glad we watched it. Um, but I, I think the best place to kind of jump into it is wherever you want to jump into it. So what's what's the best place to start tackling this feature, Andy?
1: um geez there's a lot uh wh- well let's start with just the the relationship the story that the, this yeah. is a story about their relationship and throughout the the film they'll you know they pick at each other or you can tell they're upset and uh you know there's lots of hints and eventually we we kind of come up where, where someone says something that that's really you know kind of sh- takes you back like they're fighting and eventually she says you forgot to thank me tonight and then that explodes a whole thing, Yeah, you know, and then that, that happens kind of several times where there's a kind of a big relationship, uh, relationship revelation. And you're like, Oh my God. Um, and it leads to uh, a different thing. And they're, I mean, they're quarreling the, the, the entire time And they're, I mean, you feel like they're going to break up several, <laughs> several times, right. but they don't, but they don't, they kind of fight through it, uh, work through it, but we, we slowly get more insight into each character we we learn that you know uh, he's telling this the story uh, or his movie is pretty strongly based on on his is on Zendaya's character and on Marie and uh, he he kind of refuses to acknowledge that and she has to kind of spell it out for him like no this this is based on me i'm the reason you have this film blah 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 and they kind of they they re- they're really mean and really like cruel yeah. to each other yeah. several times and then they kind of work through it and and come back and it's um i i was really into it the whole the whole time i was surprised because i did not expect to really like this movie um but i i was really along for the ride and it really held my attention i was surprised
0: yeah it's got a really strong presentation um you know before i jump into that though and and why visually it was so gripping yeah we should talk about kind of our, our proper story Um, Malcolm is a character who's very like aggressive. Uh, he knows what he wants and he's not afraid of, of people thinking his opinion is incorrect. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's aggressive when people say his opinion is incorrect. Like how dare you question me kind of person. Very, very self-aggrandizing, very proud. Marie uh, is is very much the opposite. She's very quiet. She's very back of the room. She's got a lot of problems, and she's self-conscious about them. They, they, they weigh her down. So the two of them have been together for a very long time. Uh, the two of them have been dating for a very long time, and they've, they've kind of worked each other through these problems. Uh, Marie has a history of drug addiction. Uh, Malcolm helped her through that, and now he's become kind of a proper filmmaker. This is the evening of his premiere, when the film opens, he's over the moon excited. Oh my God, my movie's out. It was huge. She's like visibly pissed. And it's such a great place <laughs> yeah. to start the film, right? Because it's like, okay, these two characters are on complete opposite ends of the mood spectrum here, but they have a history together. Let's jump into it. And it's a lot of fun. Like that that first fight, I think is fun because like Sam Levinson, and I'll talk about the presentation in a minute. I, I, I was very, I was very into how this movie looks. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, the fight feels very real. Like I said, Sam Levinson writ- wrote this in like a week and a half. And it's very visceral. Like, it, it starts off very surface. There's these two people you don't know kind of fighting with each other, starting to get into it. She doesn't want to talk about it. We'll talk about it in the morning. He's like, I'm not going to bed angry. You got to tell me what's up. They start to get into it more. Like, it's good stuff. And like I said at the top, like, it feels like a fight you've been in. Like, if you have a partner you've been with for a while or if you ever dated somebody for a while in the past, you've had this fight in some fashion where like one of you was angry and the other one didn't want to talk about it. And then you start getting into it and it just gets worse. You start poking each other's, you press each other's buttons. And before you know it, you're shouting at each other. I kept waiting for him to throw hands in this movie. I was like, somebody's going to throw a glass at a wall or something. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you can watch the movie and find out for yourself if that happens. But...
1: There's a very aggressive eating of the macaroni and cheese <laughs> as <Yes>. well. <laughs> like, yeah, right. But it's um, finally made he he's like yeah, he's like arguing while he's trying to eat this bowl and so he's like eating it very aggressively. Yeah.
0: Um there's definitely a lot of alcohol use. They they're drinking over the course of the evening. It's one very long night that well, this is all happening. Yeah.
1: Well, he is drinking like like you see him like he kind of he starts and then he just kind of always has a drink in his hand throughout the whole the whole rest of the evening. Well they're both they're both which, is, which, 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 which isn't to, helping.
0: Right. They're both giving in devices. She's smoking cigarettes. So yeah. like you kinda uh, yeah, but um you get this wonderful duality of these two characters who've been together for a very long time and understand each other very well and as the film goes on you kind of get to know them more and you kinda of get to understand who they are. And I think in a way you can relate. Um my problem in the second
1: half is that it just gets too complicated, right? Uh what did, did you run into that at all at all? Am I crazy? No uh, not too – i mean i i was with it the the entire, entire time it w- what i wanted to say is that you know you know it it didn't feel like a play to me which is what i kind of thought it might like you know we talked about um what was it locked locked up locked in um and locked one yeah. locked down thank you and one <laughs> night in miami as well that you know that movie is like pretty much takes place in a hotel room and it just it feels like you're watching a stage play and this did a really good job of not being that way. There were lots of really different shots. Like, there's a lot of really interesting cinematography. Uh, you know, there's shots of, of them, there's shots of other things, in, in the the room where, like, you know, when she's making the mac and cheese, and it's all focused on her hands. Like, so it it makes it's done very very like cinematically. It feels like a movie, as right? Opposed to and- a play
0: and you're right because this 100% could be a play. This could easily be adapted into a play. It's two characters in one setting. They don't go anywhere. Like this could very easily be a play. And it's almost all real time, right? The idea seems to be there's there's a few montages or jumps in time, but the most part all plays it takes place over one evening, over a few hours. And the movie is a couple hours, so like it could easily play as one long feature because that's how it's presented. This is this is one evening. Um, for these two characters. We need to talk about the performances. Uh there's only two, <laughs> John David Washington <laughs> and Zendaya. That's not a joke. it's not like somebody shows up at the end and breaks the ice. That's it. Um Andy, what would you think of them?
1: Uh I thought they were really great. I mean, they get, I mean, like I said, it's two characters the entire time and there aren't like action scenes or other things for them to do. It's it's literally just like a solid almost two hours of acting. Uh, so I thought it was pretty incredible. I'd be interested to see if uh, these, if these gar- garner any kind of like uh, acting nominations come Oscar season, which I think is actually starting next month um, or announcements anyways. So yeah, I, I thought they were really phenomenal and I mean, it's a lot like they both have like loads and loads of, of dialogue. And I mean, I was like, how did they, Yeah, it's a lot to, it's a lot to memorize and, and rehearse and, and go through.
0: Yeah, so it's a really dense script, and these arguments are very fast. Like, it's usually one of them almost, like, shout-talking to the other one, or, like, very quietly saying, like, I mean, paragraphs of dialogue. And and they're both really tremendous. John David Washington is an aggressive uh, character who gets what he wants and is 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 determined to like get to the root of my why Marie is upset with him and explain that he is not actually at fault, that maybe she's imagining this. This is something she's cooked up in her head because she's self-conscious and she has her own history with problems like this. Zendaya on the other hand is somebody who very much understands who Malcolm is and is explaining that, like, you're not seeing me for who I really am. You're too caught up in your own nonsense to, like, really understand, like, the person I am and, and why I feel this way. You're not listening to me. Like, so you get you get two characters who feel very grounded in reality, right? Like, they're, they're, their arguments are solid. And that's part of the reason it feels so relatable. Um, the two of them are tremendous in this feature. I thought Zendaya, I'll be honest, was a little robotic at first. But as I watched the movie and kind of watched her open up, you realize it's just she's cold at the beginning because her character is being cold to Malcolm. So it may be a little off putting it first. She gets going 110%. John David Washington's the same way. Even when he's his most mad, he's still phenomenally enjoyable to watch. They're both delivering very long monologues. Not only of like exposition of themselves, but of each other's characters. And often in one long take, which is where we need to talk about presentation... Uh, there are multiple segments of this film that are like five to eight minutes long, yeah, where yeah, yeah. the camera doesn't cut once. And there's there's a scene in particular towards the end of the second act where John David Washington is delivering this monstrously long monologue about a film critic who's just written about his film. The LA Times review just went up from the, from the from the premiere a few hours ago, and he's so mad about it, he rants for like eight minutes of uninterrupted like no cut footage of him like screaming about this review and the energy is so crazy and he just keeps going. And it's like, I, I love what he's doing. He definitely lost me at like two minutes, though. And that's part of the problem. <laughs> like, at some point, I'm not listening to them arguing anymore. It's just words. And, like, I can't keep up, you know? And I I struggle to, to stay plugged in that way. But but that's nothing to do with the performances. They were tremendous.
1: Yeah, there's another shot, actually, right at the beginning of the film where it actually, the camera kind of pans. It's The camera's outside of the house, and it pans between uh, Zendaya at the stove and then... Um, John David Washington. Yeah, like sorry. Doing laps Malcolm, around the Ma- living room. Yeah, exactly. And and the camera just keeps shifting between the two, but it's it's like a it's like a ten minute scene. It's really yeah. long. Um really yeah. incredible. I, I will say that I, I have heard some criticisms that the um the performances are almost like too good. Like the, the like the dialogue is too like people don't talk like that kind of thing. I that didn't bother me. I thought it it was all fine. I thought it was pretty organic, but uh that was one of the, the criticisms I read somewhere.
0: No, yeah, I didn't feel that way. Like I said, it, really, my problems start to come in, like, the the, the specific... Okay, here, here's a big, the affluence, right? These are these are two affluent people. And, like, it starts talking about how they're very human and normal. But you start to realize, oh, he is now a director who's going to be receiving a claim. And she is not necessarily his arm candy, but his partner, right? Like, who comes along for the ride for a lot of this. And his inspiration is Muse, in a lot of ways. Um like they start to talk about like art and like cinema in a way that you're just like, I don't know what you're talking about anymore. You're talking about authors and artists that like I've never heard of and influences of your, of your character's life that don't make any sense to me because I'm not affluent. Like you are like that stuff starts to knock me off a little bit, but it doesn't come till later. It it, it, And and that's just me. Like Andy managed to keep up.
1: Yeah. I was going to say it, it felt very like if you're a big, like this is perfect for us because we're big cinema fans, and we yeah. know everything that he's like talking about and relating to it in in a lot of ways, but like the average person might not
0: no not at all like it's definitely it's definitely a thinking person's kind of movie, and I think that's that's what Sam Levinson does, right so he's good at his work on euphoria shows that and and his writing here he wrote this in in just over a couple of weeks. I think he had somebody help him helping him write it, but for the most part, it was like written, directed, and shot in almost a month i mean it's it's so yeah was shot it over the summer. Yeah, and they shot it because they couldn't shoot Euphoria, the HBO show. Like they needed something to do, and they were bored. So Sam Levinson was like, "Well, let's just do
1: this thing." Um, We should talk about the presentation and any any thoughts that way, Andy. Um, Well, like we said, the setting—it's all in one, uh, you know, big Hollywood house. uh, But it's still just—it's one setting uh, for all intents and purposes. It's in black and white, which I think is a, a really uh, it's an interesting choice and I think one that works really well so I am I, I wonder what kind of inspired that um, but I, I I liked it uh, what about what about you
0: yeah I, I was really impressed the setting is is definitely worth talking about this house is really unique they explain it's a rental the studios put them up and they don't own it I don't think that's a necessary detail but whatever because um, they seem they seem pretty at home in it but it's like a museum I mean it's a super super nice trendy like easy uh, West Coast house and um, they they look very comfortable and it. it's a great setting for this feature and it's a great great open kind of concept setting for how Levinson shoots this film. He shoots it very intimately. like we get a lot of long uninterrupted takes. We get a lot of really close shots we get we get shots in the bathroom. we get shots in the in the living room bedroom outside like all over the place. and it's creative like yeah, you'd think it would just be shot almost like a stage play right Set up a couple cameras, kind of point them around let them do the thing. No. That camera moves all over that house. It's down on the floor when one of them is laying down. It's next to the bathtub when when Zendaya is like curled up and hugging her knees and crying. It's it's outside when when Mal- when, when John David Washington is going out going out to smoke. Like it's it 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 really moves around a lot and it helps the space feel a lot bigger than it is it doesn't feel so claustrophobic it feels like you're able to move and breathe and and the writing does a great job of allowing for that too these arguments come in waves they'll argue a bit and then they'll back off and a little musical play and they'll one of them will get a drink or a cigarette and then they'll kind of come back together and they'll talk a little bit and then maybe argue more and then they'll back off and one of them will say well hey I just got to say this thing to you and they'll, they'll deliver this monologue and then they're just kind of kind of quiet off and like that 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 pressure on the gas pedal just like occasionally really gives it a pace that makes it manageable and it makes the points made at the end of each kind of argument state like more valid like when 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 she really delivers something crushing and emotional to him it really hurts and when he really shouts something at her that like is just over the line you feel that and like that stuff I think works really effectively but it's also like two hours of arguing and that's like exhausting <laughs> i think I, I i was i was beat by the end of this movie
1: yeah it, it is it is a lot by the it end is i think
0: a hundred percent a lot any other thoughts andy we covered the writing presentation acting. yeah
1: i just want to say it reminded me it was like this year's marriage story
0: yeah yeah very much so i could i could absolutely see the relation to that um and i i I don't, I don't want to say I enjoyed this more than marriage story, but I, I mean I have to I have to I have to commemorate what this film has done simply I definitely like a, did yeah from, from an experimental way like I did not think I would enjoy this as much as I did'm I'm, I'm shocked I enjoyed it as much as I did it, it lost me a little bit towards the end, but like it's genuinely stunning what they were able to do in so little time with so little resources right yeah so um any thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Malcolm and Marie?
1: I would. It's uh interesting relationship drama, great performances by Zendaya and, and John David Washington. Very minimalistic, all takes place in one house, very artistic. It's that it's in black and white. And it also is completely nighttime the entire time. Um, which I was wondering how they they shot this. They probably had to do it over uh, several nights. Um But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It it's it's tough. It it does, you know, cover some uh you know, some tough subject matter from time to time. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I would definitely recommend.
0: I'm in the same boat. I'd recommend it as well. I know I I harped on it being two hours and the second half being rough. But what I would encourage you to do if you're intimidated by Malcolm and Marie and you're not sure if you're going to be into it, pop it on, watch the first like 15 minutes because I think it's about 14 minutes till you hit the title card. And that first like 14 minutes is like a brilliant microcosm of an introduction of what you're going to be getting into over the course of the film. I started this movie thinking this is going to be dry. This is going to be long, but I'm going to get into it and see what it's about. And by the time I hit the title card, I was I was like ready to text Andy like, "Oh my god, this is going to be super good." Like it really draws you in. So just give it a shot. Just try the first 20 minutes or so and see what you think. And if you're not completely plugged into what's happening in the movie, uh ah, maybe maybe pass on it, right? Try try something else. But I would bet if you start Malcolm Murray, you'll end up finishing it. That's my prediction. This movie is super cool. It's doing some stuff I haven't seen in a long time. I like it. A glowing recommendation from the off-script crew. So that's Malcolm and Marie. That's what's going on, I guess. Sam Levinson turned out a winner. Have you watched any of, of Euphoria, by the way, Andy?
1: No, I, d- I know that it's like a you know one of the HBO's big shows right now, but I don't I don't really know what it's about or anything.
0: Yeah, big big Zendaya vehicle. She's the main character. I know he he directs a lot of it. I think he writes a bit of it. I've never watched it either, but I've heard glowing things from people around me. So if you have watched Euphoria, or you have hot takes on Malcolm Marie, Write us in at OffScriptRoomOfView or comment on the Facebook post below where we're live streaming this, and we'll talk about it. I guess because I'd like to know more. With that being said, we need to move on to our Golden Globe stuff. Uh, Andy, while I'm switching over to our noms here so people can see what we're doing, for those of you watching the stream on Facebook Live, do you mind introducing the segment, please?
1: Yes, it's time for the death of cinema. Uh, So this week we're going to be talking about the Golden Globes, which are the... uh, Kind of redheaded stepchild of the uh, Oscars. Uh, sometimes they get it right; they usually don't. Um, they, a lot of odd choices in uh, the nominations that they choose. Also, just the way that the their awards are structured. Uh, they have, you know, like they have best dr- best drama, but then also uh, musical comedy, and what goes into those um, categories is sometimes a little bit strange. It's also only voted on by very small. I think like 150 people as opposed to the Oscars, which is like several thousand. Um, so uh, we're going to get started with uh, best picture drama. And some of these are not a surprise. Some of them are. So we have The Father, which I think I saw a trailer for. I have no idea what it's about. Um, Mank, which we reviewed. Promising Young Woman, which we reviewed. Trial of the Chicago 7. And Nomadland, which we will be watching uh, next week. Uh, that comes out on Amazon Prime. I'm really surprised at this list. Um, There's a lot, a lot of streaming stuff on here. Like we said, um, Mank and Trial of the Chicago Seven, and also, uh, I mean, Promising Young Woman. Like we, it has uh, a lot of positive things, but we also kind of, I I also, you know, think it's kind of a problematic movie. Um, Zach, what do you think about those, these five for the drama?
0: So I'm excited to look at this list because 2020 was a weird year at the movies, and this is the first real example of like what is an award show going to be like like for a year where we didn't have a whole lot coming out. And this is um, not too far off from what I kind of expected. Uh, this is a good list. It's not bad. Uh, I haven't seen The Father. The Father, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, is by Anthony Hopkins as an older guy who is suffering from dementia. And over the course of the film, his daughter comes over to help him out and stuff, and he doesn't recognize her, and he thinks he does, but she might be a stranger. So he plays a character who, like, thinks there's something going on when, like, odds are there's nothing going on. Maybe there is. I haven't seen the film, but that's that's, that's what that movie's about. Um, you know, out of this list, we've seen Mank, Promising Young Woman, and Trial of Chicago 7. If I had to pick one of those, I'd say Mank, because I love David Fincher, and I like that movie a lot. I think Nomadland's going to get it. And I'll tell you why, because Nomadland, uh, just the other day, won Best Picture at the Toronto International Film Festival, which is obviously before the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. and usually is a pretty good barometer of where things are going to go here. I think this kind of small group of judges like to kind of look at that and go, hmm, well, they, they thought it was good, and maybe maybe there's something I didn't see here, and they watch it. So, that's where I think it's going to go in Nomadland, my my sleepers mank.
1: I'm a little upset about what's not on this list. Um, I think, well... Number one, I, while Tenet, I think, should be on this list, just because it was one of the only movies to actually come out in theaters, like, none of these have <laughs> actually had a theatrical run, so I think Tenet deserves some bravery. But also Sound of Metal, which was that my the, my number one film is not on here. And also, uh, so, yeah, I'm disappointed in those two. Um is that, any thoughts on those that are missing?
0: You know, now that you mention it, I had forgotten. You're right. Tenet should absolutely be on this list. It's surprising it isn't. I think it will make an Oscar Best Picture, but they also have ten potential category ten, 10 potential entries there, and not just five. I'm surprised Trial of Chicago Seven's on here. Frankly, I haven't seen The Father. Maybe that maybe that's like a, a far thing. pick, but like I that one. The Trial of the Sh- Chicago
1: Seven. Yeah, that movie was okay. Right. Uh, there were some good things about it, but. Yes.
0: I think it's here because it's written by Aaron Sorkin, who is an acclaimed screenwriter and is also nominated this year for screenwriting. And it has like an all star cast. That's the reason I think it's here. Fundamentally, I don't think it's as good of a film as the rest of these. So that's my hot pick. Uh, Best Picture Musical Comedy. Uh, five nominees we've got Borat subsequent movie film Hamilton from on Disney plus that's the film adaptation of the play uh, a film by Sia called music that I've never heard of starring Kate Hudson and Leslie Odom jr don't know what that is Palm Springs the Hulu comedy starring uh, Andy Samberg and Christina Milioti and Prom the Netflix film which is I think an adaptation of a play right like as, as I was told yeah yeah it's it. a
1: Broadway show so we've
0: got two plays. We have, well, I don't know what music is by Sia, but two plays, uh, two straight to streaming films and one that I've never heard of. What do you think?
1: Andy? This is, a, I think this is just a terrible category overall. And like they, <laughs> they sometimes shut like the promising young woman was, which is a very serious film about sexual assault, yes. um, was in the musical comedy category initially. And then people were like, what are you, t- what are you doing? And right. they, they finally moved it out. Um, so, first of all, Hamilton isn't really a movie, so I don't even think that should be on whoa, here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold
0: on. Go ahead.
1: I'll, it's a, it's I'll, talk, a, <laughs> I'll address that in a second. <laughs> okay. Um, Borat was fine. I think the fact that we don't even know what this... I've never heard of this film by Sia. Yeah. Like, how is that even on here? Palm Springs, I really enjoyed. Um, but like I said, this this is a weird category, and, and we didn't watch uh, The Prom uh what so go ahead
0: yeah so borat is like a live prank movie that's like putting one of the jackass films on here which are fine as as their own thing but like it just kind of stands apart and i don't think it's as cinematic as maybe the globes are looking for maybe it'll win like uh, you know there were funnier a dark films. horse winner yeah but it's not it's certainly not because the first film i'm um, look I'm kind of in the same boat on Hamilton. I know Hamilton's great, but you just filmed the stage play and you're like best picture. Come on. That's not best picture. Like look at, look at like, look at like Lin-Manuel Miranda's in the Heights, right? Like the film hasn't come out yet, but he took a Broadway play that he made and completely adapted it to a film. You have a setting in New York. We have multiple places. It's it's a movie, right? Like it's not just a filmed version of the stage play. It is a proper film. There's there's a bit of a difference. I don't mean to sound like Steven Spielberg here. I love Hamilton, but like Hamilton has got all the awards it needs to. What a Tony for God's sake, right? Like yeah. Hamilton's good. We don't need to start giving out film awards to Hamilton unless they're going to adapt it into a proper film. Yeah,
1: and it, which is what I said. Like I didn't. really enjoy like just watching the stage musical but i think if they were to adapt it into a full-fledged proper film i think i'd be all about that
0: right prom is likely a proper film adaptation right like that's not just filming the broadway play that's a that's a movie so like i i think hamilton's here is an honorable mention just like it was on my top 10 list it's not gonna make it uh palm springs is my pick i think palm springs will get it i hope it does anyway yeah that would be my pick of this list Uh, it seems to be the most original obviously i've never seen music How do we, dude, when two dudes that run a movie podcast don't know what your movie is, you got problems. Like, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just looking at this the wrong way or something, but I don't know. Uh, You want to take the next one?
1: Yeah, uh, let's quickly go through uh, Best Actress, Motion Picture Drama. We have uh, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andrew Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, uh, Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, and Frances McDormand for Nomadland. And finally, Carrie Mulligan for a Promising uh, Young Woman. Of all these, I think Viola Davis uh, hands down. I actually have, I mean, I haven't seen three of these, but of that of that group, I would say uh, Viola Davis.
0: Yeah, uh, Viola Davis and, and Carrie Mulligan were both like completely transformative in these films. Viola Davis is Ma Rainey Black Bottom. She's unrecognizable. If I walked down the street with a picture of Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and showed it to 100 people, I'll bet less than 10 would be able to identify who that actress is. I would bet less than five would be able to identify who it is. Like, it's crazy how, how different she looks. She is a completely different person. And I think the best performances are ones where the actors and actresses can just transform into that, like, and really own the role, she does. I haven't seen the next three films, The United States versus Billie Holiday, Pieces of Woman, and Nomadland. Uh, I think Frances McDormand won at Toronto International Film Festival, so that might be an indicator of what's going to happen here. But Carey Mulligan is super good in Promising Young Woman. I would love to see her win. I don't know if she will, but it would be really something if she did, because she's tremendous in that movie. Very different. For Best Actor in a Motion Picture Drama, uh, we've got Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Andy's favorite film of last year. We've got Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom uh, in what I thought was a supporting role, but I guess he's the primary actor in the film, so that makes sense. Anthony Hopkins in The Father, playing a father who's battling dementia. Uh, Gary Oldman in Mank as the titular Herman Mankiewicz, the screenwriter. And Tahar Rahim in The Mauritanian, which is a film about guantanamo and he plays yeah he he plays somebody who knows information i think about 9-11 or something like that so uh suffering from torture we've seen three of these films andy what's your hot pick
1: i think chadwick boseman will probably win for uh mostly because it will be a posthumous award he is incredible in that that film and i think Definitely des, uh, deserves it. My kind of run, runner-up to that would be uh, Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. I think Gary Oldman is kind of actually overdoing it in Mank. It's it's a uh, it's a lot. Yeah, you know, it, it it's the uh, yeah trying for an Oscar um, performance. So it, it, yeah, I, I think there's there's more nuanced performances.
0: Yeah, I, I look at this list and I think. To, to, I don't mean to be biased based on like how judges are going to vote, but if we know anything about award shows, they're primarily pretty biased based on how judges feel at the time. Riz Ahmed's young, guy's got a career ahead of him, right? He's great in sound of metal, but it wasn't really wide release. I don't know if he's going to scoop it. Chadwick Bozeman is a posthumous reward. And also, he's tremendous in it. That's worth mentioning. He is very good in that movie. He refuses to soft pedal on the gas, he is great from start to finish. And I think he'll probably take it. Supposedly, Anthony Hopkins in The Father is real good. I remember reading some earlier reviews for that movie, and they said he was tremendous. I don't know what it's about, but I'd like to see it. Garrowman makes a little much. I agree. He kind of kind of goes a little too hard at it. Now, I don't think it really comes around. And Tahir, Tahar Rahim, I don't know. I don't know anything about him. So I've heard he's good in the movie, but for, what I, for, for my money, I'd say Chadwick Boseman's our winner. I hope so, yep. anyway. I think he deserves it. I really do. So... Next up, what do we got here? Best director?
1: Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, jump to that. There's there's a ton of categories here. So we have uh, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Regina King for One Night in Miami, Aaron Sorkin Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Uh, again, I, Aaron Sorkin is on here because he's Aaron Sorkin. Um, that <laughs> that movie that movie's fine, but it's not. Um, like there are some really great performances, uh, but it's it, it also has some issues as well. Um, this is a pretty good list. I mean, David Fincher, you're a huge fan. Regina yes. King's d- directorial debut. Um, we still need to watch Nomadland. So it, this is uh, this is pretty pretty tough. Actually, I can't. No one, <laughs> no one really. They're all bad, to, right? Yeah, yeah, they're all yeah. Thanks, Andy. Um, I might go with David Fincher for for Mank. I think from this list,
0: I think Fincher is Fincher's film Mank is grand in scale. Obviously, I mean spoiler that I'm going for Fincher. He's my favorite director. Um, but it, it is grand in scale, and it's worth mentioning. We'll talk about this when we get to screenplay. Uh, it is a film that was like twenty something years in the making. Like it, it, the screenplay was orig- originally written by his father, Jack Fincher. It is a long form film. It took a long time to get this movie made. It passed through multiple studios, which means whoever's judging the Golden Globes this year may have had a finger on the pulse of this thing from years back. They, they, they may know about Mank. It may just be the hot pick. It's also about Hollywood, and Hollywood loves movies about themselves. Mank might be the winner. Uh, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman is really tremendous. I don't know if I would throw her a directing uh, award, but certainly consider her for screenplay, which she is nominated for as well. The writing is really something else, and I did like the directing a lot, but... I don't know. She's definitely a sleeper, though. Regina King, One Night in Miami, I'm going to say pass. Uh, she's very good. It's a good film, but I think she needs one or two more movies to kind of really get her own directorial style, really become an auteur and come into her own.
1: She needs a movie that's a movie, not a play.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, that's that's a problem with One Night in Miami. She's adapting a play and not really an original film. Uh, Aaron Sorkin, I'd throw him a screenplay credit, which he's getting. He's, he's, he's got a nom for screenplay we'll talk about in a second, not director. And Chloe Zhao from Nomadland, I haven't seen it. Um, but again, it's doing so pretty good so far in the award show season. So my pick is mank. Sleeper, Dark Horse, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman for Best Screenplay in a Motion Picture. Our nominees are Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman, Jack Fincher for Mank, David Fincher's father, Aaron Sorkin for Trial of the Chicago Seven, Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller for The Father, the Anthony Hopkins film, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. A lot of familiar films on this list doesn't change too much. <laughs> yeah, Aaron, who do you good. think's taking it?
1: Uh, I would, I would. From what we've seen, I would be, uh, again go with uh, Jack Fincher for Mank.
0: I hope so. Um, like I said, I mean, it's a posthumous award, right? Like Hollywood likes movies about themselves. And that seems pretty sweet, right? Like it, it looks good on paper. It's a sweet heartfelt thing. Headlines read good. Jack Fincher wins it. His son directs the film. Like I, that's, that's a good story. I, I would love it if he won. Um, again, I'm a Fincher fan. I think it might go to Aaron Sorkin though. Cause Aaron Sorkin is, is a really tremendous screenwriter. And even though trial of Chicago seven is not his best work. I think Hollywood likes the guy um yeah so we'll see well uh, he,
1: he gave us you can't handle the truth
0: it's he so. did give us a few good men that's true and the west wing and a lot of other good good, good stuff um again i'd love to see emerald funnel win it for promising young woman and although i wasn't a big fan of the film like i think the script is really something worth looking at um we'll see we'll see how uncomfortable hollywood is with like the idea of, of promising young woman uh, as award season rolls out how about best picture animated
1: uh, so that for that, we have The Croods, A New Age, uh, Disney Pixar's Onward, which came out uh, last about this time last year. That was one of the f- last films we saw before uh, going into quarantine. Uh, Over the Moon, which is a Netflix film. D- uh, Disney Pixar's Soul. So there's actually two, both Pixar films nominated. Two Pixar films, yeah. And uh, Wolfwalkers, um, which is the, I forget the, the studio that does those, but um, that's the, the ke- kind of Celtic um Folk tale I, thing. I can never
0: remember that in the Secret of Kells they did. And yeah. Um, they did a bunch of good movies, yeah.
1: So this is good. I was going to say probably the, the animated stuff has been better than a lot of the, the kind of mainstream uh, stuff that has uh, come out. Um, from this list, I, th- I would probably go, have to go with Soul from what I've seen.
0: Yeah, uh, I think Soul's going to win. Um, I, I would love to say like, well, no, Wolf Walkers is super good because I've heard it is. Wolf Walkers is also on Apple TV Plus, which I would bet a good judge, good bunch of these judges don't have. So just just mm-hmm. on the way you access it, I'd imagine a handful haven't seen it. And also, it's Disney; they traditionally win like the animated category. Like that's typically how it goes. Um, and Soul, I think, is a much stronger film than Onward. So yeah. that's my pick.
1: That, that I, reminds yeah. me. Uh, sorry, before we go on, uh, yeah. Christopher Nolan is not mentioned in the Best Picture category, uh, despite like again putting out pretty much the only blockbuster all all year. Uh, all these films seem to be actually really pretty much on the small side.
0: Yeah, you make a good point. There is no tenet at all in any of these. I don't think it got anything right. Like zero Golden Globe knobs.
1: He's trying to save cinema, and he thinks he gets. It's, uh, uh, is there anything yeah. else that, that we want to cover?
0: You know, I was going to look at Best Picture, Foreign Language, but I've seen literally none of them. I've heard about two of them. I'd like to see t- a couple of them, but I haven't seen them. Uh, we've got oh.
1: Best Score, Best Song, uh, and then we get into Series. I was going to mention that, yeah, Tenet is mentioned in Best Score, but that's the only one. That's place.
0: right. Yeah, look at this. Best Score. Isn't that cute, Mr. Nola? Your movie got one nomination for Best Score.
1: And that's uh, good old uh, Ludwig uh, Göransson. Yeah, We um, also did a lot of the music on the season two of the the Mandalorian.
0: Oh, really? Yep. I just started watching that the other night. It's pretty good so far. Yeah, first couple episodes, not bad. No, I don't think we need to mention anything else. Uh, yeah, best best score is you know can't I, can't I talk about best score? Let me get, let me do that one. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes, uh, best score for motion picture. Uh, the, the nominees are The Midnight Sky, the George Clooney film, uh, Tenet. By Ludwig the uh, Christopher Nolan movie, News of the World, Tom Hanks film we talked about a couple weeks ago, Tom Hanks in a Western. Mank, uh, the Gary Oldman uh, feature on, on Netflix, and Soul, the Disney Pixar film. What's interesting about this is two of these films are scored by the same people, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, both scored Mank and Soul. Uh, they have recently, <laughs> of, of most recent fame, they, they were the minds behind Nine Inch Nails, the band. Uh, But more recently, they've worked with Fincher on *The Social Network* and most of his films going forward. I was going to
1: say they've been uh, doing—they do all of his films, uh, film scoring for quite some time now. Yeah,
0: so to see the same artist nominated for two different, two very different films uh, is really compelling. Um, I would love it if they won for *Mank*. They did a lot of really clever work on that movie with period films. They—they—they've constructed like long form. Um, orchestral soundtracks for it's not just like a couple minutes of like a little score you'd hear and like a ditty in the background of a scene like they have like 10 and 12 minute tracks that they laid down for that movie they did a lot of work and I think it's really tremendous Soul will probably win it I'd love it if Tenet did though. Just get one. One Golden Globe for get Tenet, get you know one, what I mean? Get one. Yeah, yeah
1: I, I from this I mean Tenet was definitely my the favorite score that I've had all year. Uh, I've listened to it uh, numerous times. Um, Soul is also very good. That's the other standout. See, that's the other thing like I can't remember the music from the rest of these at all. Like Midnight no. Sky, couldn't tell you. News of the World couldn't tell you. Even Mank I like, I don't remember any of the music. Right. Um so those uh, t- those two are kind of stand out to me. Um, I either one uh,
0: We'll see. Do you think there's no way Tenet gets snubbed come Oscar season, right? No, a lot of they won't that's get what's love interesting. From the Oscars.
1: That's well, what's certainly. interesting about a lot of these awards. Like a lot of things that are getting recognized in these awards, you will not see at the Oscars, and vice versa. Things that should probably be get more recognition w- will get more recognition in um, when the Oscars come around. And and uh, just uh, some info on that. So the Oscar deadline is the end of February. Uh, So that'll be the cutoff. And then they'll announce nominations, I guess, sometime in March. And then the awards are actually in late April. You're
0: traditionally not a Golden Globe guy, right? You watch the Oscars religiously. However, the Golden Globes usually brush off as trash. Yeah, Um, yeah, I just just watch at the end. What do you think this year coming off 2020? I mean, it's a weird year at the movies. Uh, What do you think of the awards?
1: I mean, I, I don't even know how they're they're gonna do them. Uh, I, I'm not sure how they've done other awards ceremony. I know that they they have, um, but the the thing is, we're gonna get probably two years of weird awards because the 20, 2021 film year is shorter because of the the award season being shorter. Yeah. Um, and also, we have the same issue that we did last year of not a lot of movies are gonna come out.
0: No. So. That's the Golden Globes, at least the ones we're willing to talk about. There are, of course, other uh, categories that we would get to, but we've spent far too long on this already. We need to get to our second film. I'm going to be taking the summary on this, so excuse the clumsy introduction. I'm going to be doing my best to uh, get everything in order on the background. Uh, 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 behind the scenes uh, to get this
1: thing <laughs> on.
0: Yeah, the thing I'm trying to do right now and talk through it. Whatever. The, the movie is The Prestige.
1: Shoot me. Come on. No, I can't Do shoot. it. <laughs> How'd you like that? (laughs) How'd you do it? Magic. I'll perform this feat in a manner never before seen by yourselves or any other audience anywhere in the world.
0: The Prestige is the story of two rival magicians in early 1800s London. Uh, Directed by Christopher Nolan, came out in 2006 following Batman Begins and preceding The Dark Knight. It was a weird time. In Nolan's career, he was officially in theaters. Uh, he was a big budget director at this point, a hotshot Hollywood guy, but he still wanted to write his own features. And the prestige, I think, in a lot of ways, is his love letter to cinema and the illusion of storytelling. Our two warring magicians in early 1800s London are played brilliantly by Hugh Jackman as Robert Angier and uh, Christian Bale as Alfred Borden. The film opens with the two of them being apprentices to a magician who's on the up and up. And of course, this is a time before television. This is a time likely before I think they had radio at this point, but you don't really see it in this film. The only thing people had to do to be entertained was read the paper, read books Go to bars and look at magic shows, right? Illusions, and so the two of them are passionate about what they do. Bale Bale is a slightly more talented magician, uh, and and Jackman is much more of a showman. And the two of them are 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 <laughs> forced to 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 face each other down uh, a- after a tragic incident involving a trick, and they begin chasing each other's illusions to try to outdo one, one another and become the greatest magician in the world uh like i said at the top the movie came out in 2006 it features some brilliant performances and some brilliant work by nolan i'm excited to talk about it andy what did you think of the prestige
1: i absolutely love this film this is one of my favorite nolan films and you know you see him kind of mastering the craft before he was given like 200 million dollar uh budgets you know making a film on a smaller scale it, that just creating so much tension atmosphere. You know, it's about this obsession to be, to beat each other, to be the great, the greater, uh, I keep wanting to say musician, magician. Um, th- this obsession, this idea of identity, identity is a, a strong theme and just some really impressive visuals. You know, I, I think um, one of the things Nolan does is he tries to create things that you haven't ever seen on screen. And he does that even, even in here we have, you know, I, the uh, kind of one of the things that happens early on where someone, uh, one of the water tanks has to be broken on stage and like floods everything. Like, it's such a brilliant scene and, it's an, and an intense moment. And he's really good at just creating things you haven't seen before and putting a lot of emotion behind it.
0: Yeah, I think coming off of Batman begins like nolan was starting to be seen in the public eye as like a really grand filmmaker and he wanted to kind of honor that vision while also creating his own thing right creating a work that's not based on what anybody else has done batman of course is a old comic book property and nolan traditionally has been very devoted to writing his own work and that's exactly what this is it's an original work
1: no, this is based on a novel. God damn it, Andy. <laughs> I was Sorry. so... Based on a novel my, by uh, Christopher Priest.
0: I had my plot laid out. I was going to keep going. <laughs> All right. The Prestige... Right. Is it really based on a novel? Oh,
1: my God. Yes. I've been talking about uh, this movie
0: being an original work for like 14 years, Andy. Hard to believe this movie is 15 years old now. Um, so to pivot off the writing, because that was a total flop.
1: You know what? Just... just I. Dude, you totally derailed me. Take okay. it away from me, Andy, please. Oh, okay. oh
0: God, what happened? To so, me?
1: so uh, there's a lot going on in this film. There's a lot of, like I said, uh, identity's a big um, theme, and there's lots of, you, you know, you don't really know who people are, and it's it's interesting because the the film opens with uh, Michael Kane, Michael Kane, uh, doing My,
0: Michael Kane
1: <laughs> explaining what kind of the prestige is, and he explains the three parts of of a trick, which is the pledge where you kind of Magi- demonstrate. Magician
0: says something is going to happen. They're going yeah. to make something disappear.
1: The turn where he, t- he turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. And then the prestige where it's like you've set everything back. And so he explains this kind of three part structure, which is also parallel for the film structure, but he, he kind of outlines what you're going to see and what you're going to be happening. And it's like, you know, are you watching closely? Are you watching what's happened here? Or are you distracted? And so, this kind of outline of how mu- magicians, not musicians, <laughs> are is also just a layout for what you're going to see. There's lots of foreshadowing. Like, this is a movie that, like, it just gets better on every rewatch. You catch a, so much every time.
0: Yeah. One of the, the kind of the famous quote that headlined the the poster and when it came out was I, I think it was Hollywood Review said, like, you're going to want to watch it again the second it's over, which is exactly how I felt the first time I saw this back in 2006, because you, you don't understand as you're watching it, especially the first time. The mis- the prestige is basically pulling a magic trick on you. It yeah. is. It is. It is. It is pulling a trick on its viewers. And by the time you realize what's happening, you've been fooled this whole time and you were enraptured and you were engaged. And that's, what's so brilliant about the film's script and its direction its tone and ultimately its presentation is that it's, it's practicing the very message that it's preaching to you. And it's rare. A movie can do that. It's rare. A movie can be about magic and about the wonder of illusion while also presenting an illusion to, <laughs> you, to
1: you. Yeah. And
0: you don't even really know it. And like Nolan managed to kind of tap into this lightning in a bottle approach, um, pun very much intended when it comes to some of the characters in the film, um, to, to create something truly unique. That I don't think I've seen since, and it's weird because I've seen this movie probably over a dozen times. And when Andy said he wanted to watch it for the show, I thought, okay, yeah, we'll watch the Prestige again. That's fine. And we started it up. Christine hadn't seen it in a really long time, so we watched it last Friday. I was making dinner. She said, "Well, hey, why don't we pop on the Prestige?" I said, yeah, it's over two hours. Throw it on. It's gonna be a time investment. It's a time sink watching the Prestige. <laughs> she starts it up. I already know the, the opening beats. It's fine. I know where it's going. I finished dinner. I sit down. I was like, okay, here we go. Settling for the Prestige. By the end of that two hours, I was glued to the screen once again. <laughs> I'm so into what this movie's doing. Like it's so masterful. Somebody once said of Edgar Wright, watching an Edgar Wright film, director of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, is like watching a, a, a talented card dealer do a series of card flourishes. Right. That's exactly what this movie is like, except instead of watching a card dealer, you're watching a full on magician pulling rabbits out of hats and making and sawing women in half and making people disappear and doing like incredible things on screen, all while having the charm of two brilliant actors who are genuinely, I mean, not quite at the peaks of their career, but arguably this is some of the best work they've ever done going at each other. To try to win the war of of the creative mind, like genuinely intriguing from a director who's also doing that, like it, it's <laughs> it's it's really an incredible movie. It really is.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that really intrigues me is this: we have really, uh, really solid characters. Um, Hugh Jackman plays Robert Angier, who is stage name is also the Great Danton, and you know he he's a man of wealth. He comes from a, a wealthy family, and he's you know he's dabbling in in being a performer being a um, magician meanwhile uh christian bale plays alfred borden who's very much the opposite he he's kind of uh a very lower class blue collar type of person but he's better at this like he loves it more his dedication to the the craft is is kind of a little bit more and this this rivalry between them is so nasty and it escalates so yeah i mean just terribly throughout the entire film and it takes place over years and years uh, but I mean, they they hate each other. They maim each other multiple times. They're trying to you know undo each other. It's 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 an incredible rivalry, and it's 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 tragic. But it just shows this obsession with each other and with their, like their craft.
0: Yeah, and this this like constant pursuit of perfection that the two of them are chasing. I, I love that they're two very different people. Um, they're not even. I mean, they're kind of friends at the beginning of the movie. But you don't even really get to know them that way before you know it. They're rivals after tragedy strikes. Um, they absolutely have a reason to not get along with each other, but they start really, really Jackman, right? Hugh Jackman, Robert Angier is kind of the main character of our film fundamentally. Um, and, and Christian Bale gets almost, if not more screen time, but really he's kind of who we're following. I'd say through the bulk of it, he's, he's kind of our through line through what we're doing. And Angier just cannot let go of chasing Borden. He has to know how his next big trick is done. He has to outdo him. Angier's a better showman. Borden's a better magician. Like, they're constantly trying to one-up each other and and when borden is saying hey i've moved on like you need to let this go then angier gets one over on him and borden says well now i've got to get one over on him and they just go back and forth in this game of cat and mouse on in, in front of the public stage where, where tragedy continues to happen bad things happen people get shot people get stabbed like over the course of this film people drown over the course of this movie um, all in the pursuit of this idea that one will come out on top. And it's this brilliant rivalry film that that is dressed in this wonderful layer of set dressing and costuming and 1800s practical magic because Nolan cause, cause Nolan likes to do stuff practical on camera when he can um, and brilliant performances. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about kind of our, our costuming and our sets for a moment if we can because it's beautiful. Do you have, right. you have any thoughts that way?
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a period drama. Like you said, takes place around 1899. Um, yeah. And we have authentic looking, you know, Victorian England and sets. Uh, we also have Scarlett Johansson and Rebecca Hall are also, um, uh, in this movie. Scarlett Johansson is, uh, kind of the, the stage attendant and Rebecca Hall is the wife of, of Alfred Borden, but they, they play very important roles in kind of go-betweens between these men and like, uh, you know, they help fuel the rivalry uh, in a lot of ways, but it, it looks excellent. I mean, it transports you to the time.
0: Yeah, um, every every setting in this movie has like peeling paint on the walls, and and looks like it's dirty and grimy, and and. Everything looks like it's a building that's been there for a really long time but it's just old and outdated. It's it's everything reflects this theme of like the incoming of the new, right? And and that's that's a relevant theme in the film. Like we we've got the introduction of of Nikola Tesla and and Thomas Edison introducing electricity. Like and science coming around the corner, right? Like ultimately, these men's ambitions are fueled by uh, an engineer's pro- product. They 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 have engineers, as they call them, in the film. They're engineers creating magical traps for them, and 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 boxes that make doves disappear, and 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 jacket suits that help you make cards show up, and. All these kinds of, like, technological innovations are fueling the future, and the two of these men are, in a way, trapped in the past. They're trying to fool people. They're trying to show people that the world is a little bit more magical than it really is. And I think the settings and the costumings perfectly reflect that, because they they hold up this idea of an old time, a young time, back when things were different and things were new, and as time goes on and as they get older and as the movie progresses, everything just starts to age away and everything starts to wither and peel. And it's, it's a great visual, visual representation of how anger and, and, and hate can really like peel away at who you are as a person. It's, it's really, really cool stuff.
1: Right. That's, it's a really interesting play on identity. Like we said, these are, these are men performing as kind of other people, but they're also performing in, in, in real life, in a lot of ways, like we said, um, Angier's c- comes from a wealthy family, but is kind of hiding that because, like, he doesn't want to embarrass his family by being a lowly magician. And then, uh, you know, Borden also has his his own secrets that, that kind of get revealed throughout out the movie. But it's kind of who who is who and who is playing who and who is playing someone playing someone. Like, identity is a huge part of, of this movie, and, it, and it's just like I said, there's a big duality.
0: I do want to talk about the tricks in the film, right? Um, like I said, Nolan is very much a practical director. He's, he's infamously known as a just-shut-up-and-shoot-it director. He doesn't actually overthink a lot of his shots. He just kind of puts a camera in front of things and goes, okay, shoot it. Pretty easy. And when it comes to a lot of the tricks in the film, I think everything was done almost all practical. Uh, if they're going to make a dove disappear, they want Hugh Jackman to be able to actually do it. If if Christian Bale is, gonna, is going to make a ball appear from nowhere and then make it disappear, Bale needed to learn how to do it. And I think a lot of the tricks, at least I remember reading back in the day, the two of them went to a lot of effort to really make stuff appear real on camera because they wanted it to feel legitimate. And it works. Every 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 trick in the film is kind of cheated towards the camera. Right. Like they're not actually trying to fool the audience that's staged behind the camera. They're trying to fool you, the viewer. And that's part of what makes the film so effective. A lot of the tricks look legit and you'll wonder how they did something. And that builds toward this larger theme of the film when when, when you realize the wool has been pulled over your eyes kind of the whole time. Um, it's really tremendous and great visual flair for a movie that otherwise could have been very dry. It, it it gives it something to look at, you know. When one of them's hosting a magic show, you know, you're probably going to see something cool if you pay attention to their hands. You know, you'll probably see them do something neat, and it gives everything this feeling of weight of of reality that these tricks are the currency in which these men uh, trade and deal their lives away. Um, it's effective, and, and I really
1: enjoy it. Yeah, it, it's really phenomenal. The tricks are uh you, you know there's this whole thing about you know how getting your hands dirty it's a line that's repeated several times like you know you can't be afraid to get your hands dirty and a lot of the tricks they do are really dangerous but if you can pull them off like they wow the audience but you know there's a lot of risk but to the performers uh you know they, they do the the person trying to escape from the water tank there's a, a magic or bullet catch which they they talk about um but they're you know again it, it's part of the obsession part of the commitment to the craft of, you know, uh, like I said, um, several times, Michael Caine says, you know, you can't be afraid to get, to get your hands dirty in this business. And if you are, you don't need to be on the stage.
0: Yeah. Big time. And, and it's very true, especially when you kind of realize where the film is headed. I do want to talk about, uh, the structure. Nolan normally, uh, has his films a little out of order, right? You can look at something like memento, one of his early works and see, okay, he really likes to do things in and out of place. I, I think, Lately, we know Nolan to more be a director who kind of tells his stories a little out of order. Um, But for thematics, for, for theme's sake, it all kind of makes sense in the end, right? It wraps up nicely. The Prestige is a movie that you kind of tend to forget it's not all told in order. It opens at the end, and then it kind of tells itself backwards a little ways. Then it jumps back and forth. And I think that can be confusing. I remember the first time watching this movie being like, I don't understand like where, where where things are happening or what what time this is taking place in relation to other scenes. As you watch it again and you kind of come around on it more, I think it makes more sense. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One, to thematically kind of present the elements of the story in the best order possible to, uh, to help you understand where things are headed. And two, to distract you, to distract you from what's going on, like to, to kind of jumble you a little bit. It's a little like a magician saying, hey, look over here. Don't look at the man behind the curtain, you know? Mm-hmm. Um It's effective and it works really well. And it's weird because when I think back on this movie, I forget that there are parts that are told out of order, but there are. Um, But it all comes together as this kind of package that feels very wholesome. didn't feel particularly confusing to me back then. It still doesn't now.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting so I, I watched a couple of uh, you know some a- a- analysis videos because uh, this has been out for a while so there's a couple but there's um, actually some thematic things that show up in some of his later films or actually this idea of identity is something that sh- is a theme and throughout a lot of his filmography but specifically there's stuff in, in the Batman <laughs> films that are actually yeah. references to this it's, it's really kind of amazing I'm which I won't to, spoil yeah. here but I'll tell you afterwards
0: well yeah I was going to say you're going to have to tell me after the show and with that being said I think we should probably Wrap up where we're headed with this. I don't know if we have much more to say. I feel like we're starting to talk in circles, but it's a tremendous film. Anything else you want to cover before recommendations, Andy? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend The Prestige?
1: Absolutely. Definitely one of my favorite Nolan films, and it's it's him right before he hit his big success with uh, the Dark the Dark Knight, and then all the big budget films he's had after that. So it's it it's him with a, really honing the craft, really solid writing. Uh, he has writing credit along with his brother Jonathan Nolan. Uh, who's a a phenomenal writer uh, as well. Really great movie. Great performances. Christian Bale, uh, Hugh Jackman, ScarJo, Rebecca Hall. Good performances. Michael Caine, of course. Um, So yeah, highly... Andy Serkis. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Highly, highly recommend.
0: Yeah, same boat. This movie is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, Do not walk, run to your Amazon Prime account and watch The Prestige if you have not seen it before. If you... If you... (coughs) Excuse me. I got overexcited. If you haven't seen this movie, I cannot recommend it enough to anybody, adult or kid, young or maybe not too young. It's PG-13. Young or 13 and up, it is super good. It is a super good movie. Yeah, great performances all around. I love the presentation. It is such a cool microcosm of work right before Nolan really popped, right before The Dark Knight came out and suddenly he was like a household name. This was something bigger. And and it's a great work. It's a fantastic Hugh Jackman film. It's a fantastic Christian Bale film. Really cool movie. Really love The Prestige. Glad we got a chance to watch it on the show. Absolutely. And with that, that about wraps
1: our episode. Episode 132. My God. Andy, what are we watching next week? We are watching Judas and the Black Messiah, which is uh, the story of a... Uh, Civil rights activist Fred Hampton and who was uh, essentially assassinated by the CIA and betrayed by someone in the organization. We're gonna and that's coming out on HBO Max and actually also in theaters. Uh, so you can catch it there as well if you want to get out. Um, this is definitely something we're looking forward to. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya plays Fred Hampton uh, with uh, Lakeith Stanfield uh, kind of playing the guy that that betrays him. Uh, This looks really good. I saw this trailer and I was like, man, that looks so good. And uh, So I'm I'm excited to to see that this week. And then also Earwig and the Witch, uh, which is uh, also on HBO Max, which is Studio Ghibli's uh, latest film. It's not too long, only 75 minutes, and it's their first kind of CGI film.
0: Yes, uh, I definitely railroaded Andy into watching Earwig and the Witch this week, but one, I think Studio Ghibli plays great to millennials, so for those of you out there that are our age and want to watch stuff, boom, got you covered. And two, it's their first CGI animated film by Goro Miyazaki, Miyazaki's son, who did Tales from Earthsea and uh, Secret of Ariety, I think he did. He's done a couple of off ones. He did not do Ponyo, I don't think. For those of you out there who think he did, that was a different Miyazaki. I don't know how many of these guys there are running around in that family, but apparently they're all popular. Uh, It looks okay. And short, too. It's less than feature length, so that'll be an easy one for us. Both on HBO Max. Very excited to watch both of them, especially Judas and the Black Messiah. But if you enjoyed listening to the show today, you can follow us on Facebook where we live stream the show every single Tuesday. You can check us out on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and iHeartMedia and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You know, we're around, and you can message us there. You can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, write us a message or or comment on a video or just, you know, chime in. We'll see if we can get your uh, correspondence on the air. That reminds me. I just remembered uh, somebody dinged me on Twitter about LA confidential and said we should watch it for the show. So we probably need to do that. I should have got oh, yeah. that guy's name. Have you ever That's
1: seen it? Yeah, it's excellent. I haven't seen it in a long time. I haven't seen
0: good. it. Yeah. Let me, I should write that on the timeline, but anyway, uh, outline, excuse me. Uh, we're very organized for this show. So if you enjoyed what you heard today, you can like our stuff. You can comment to engage with us. The biggest thing you can do to help the show out, just subscribe to subscribe to Offscript Film Review on your favorite podcast or video device so you can get new episodes every single week. Get notified when we go live. And uh, you, know, you could rate and review too. That would also help a bunch if you have the means. But maybe, we'll, maybe, we'll, maybe I'll pass you more about that next week. I don't know. With that mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. said, thank you so much for listening to Offscript Film Review, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Thanks for listening.